0: So I wanna share with you some principles. These are life-changing principles about finding your tribe. As you know, as a church, we're about to embark on hosting small groups for the summer. And I'll tell you, if you can get a hold of this principle and if you can participate in these home churches, I guarantee you it will revolutionize your walk and your life, and it will build an infrastructure that will be irreplaceable uh, for the years to come. And, um, you know, tonight is going to be more or less my testimony because um, finding my tribe has meant the world of difference in my walk and bringing me into a place of maturity and a place of staying steadfast. So I was saved 36 years ago, and I was actually birthed into a home church. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But first, I want to talk about what is a tribe? So, a tribe, basically, the definition is a social group composed chiefly of numerous families, clans, or generations, having a shared ancestry or language. So, it's basically our family, right? You're born into this tribe. You don't really have a choice. You know, it's what was assigned to you by God. Or number two, a group of persons having a common character, occupation, or interests. So... Your tribe can be built around something that you're really interested in. You know, maybe it's sports, maybe it's music. Um, you know, this is a little tribe up here, right? When, when they practice and they spend time together and they learn to um, flow in the Spirit together on their instruments, they're acting as a tribe, amen? Yeah. So God said in Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so I think it's really important that we see that right from the start, it was God's plan, it was God's purpose to um, assign tribes and and bring man into relationship, right? Because when man was alone, it was not a good thing, God said. And we were designed for fellowship. We were designed to have intimacy with God in the garden. And that was the place of encounter is where the garden was. And so... God wanted us to encounter him and to have relationship with him, but he also wanted man to have fellowship man to man. Because at this time, Adam was with the animals. He named all the animals. But the Lord saw that it just wasn't enough. So he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll I'll make a helpmate for him. And so we know that from there, Adam and Eve became uh, uh, basically husband and wife, and they had a family, right? And God told them to be fruitful and multiply, in January of this year, Pastor Emily, I don't know if you remember, but she spoke about biblical kinship, and she was talking about the family of God and, and how we relate to one another, how we re- relate to our earthly families, and more importantly, how we relate to our spiritual families. And so kinship, basically kin, is derived from the word, the word kind is uh, derived from the word kin, right? And so who are your kind? Who are your family? And um, when you become a Christian, many of you know you probably lost all your friends, right? You lost your earthly connections, your earthly friends, but you gained a whole new spiritual family. And I'll tell you what, it was the best trade I ever made in my entire life. Because once I lost my friends, and I remember that was one of my biggest reluctance was when I got saved, the man who was discipling me, I kept telling him, I don't want to lose my friends Because, you know, I I saw many people go through the transition of being born again, and uh, it was a big turnoff to me. And when I worked um, at GM, we had several evangelists in our department, and they were quite annoying. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be around those people. And we had a system devised that when Claire, he was the man that, one of the people that led me to the Lord, but when Claire would show up in your office somebody else would call from a nearby phone, pretending to be one of the assembly plants, like, hey, Ron, we got an emergency here. Uh, Claire, thanks for stopping. I got to attend to this. But but because we didn't want that trade, you know, we didn't want to give up the lifestyle that we we're involved in and the friends that we had. And I'll tell you what, once I saw those early friends and how they were just using me and taking advantage, and I was doing the same to them, obviously, but when I got true godly friends, what a game changer, amen? It's just so rich, it's so important to have that tribe. So one of the ways that you're going to experience that is through these home groups. And so it's no wonder why the attack on the family has been so rabid, because the enemy hates the family. Growing up, you know, we we were taught the nuclear family was a, a man and a woman, you know, a husband and wife and children. And so the attack on the nuclear family has been relentless, so much so that in our lifetime, on our watch, I think we've seen it totally destroyed. And, and I think we can still recapture it. I think it's God's original plan for man and woman. And I think we, as a church, can begin to model these healthy relationships, these healthy marriages, these healthy homes. And one of the ways that we do that is we all work together as a tribe and, and helping each other to, to raise these families up, but in the in the um, Old Testament, especially, we see the pattern with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, just to name a few. They're all families, aren't they? And it's really important that we understand that God works in and through families. Our family is the first tribe that we're born into, and it's where we make our first attachments. So this little lady is my granddaughter, Gia, and uh, if you can see, I don't know if you can see, but she's looking at a photograph of her cousins, okay? And in this photograph, she's 21 months old. She's not even two years old. She'll be two years in June. But she's looking at that photograph of her cousins, and she can name each and every one of them. And she knows that she has an attachment. She understands that these people are important people in her life. And when she sees them, I don't care where it is—if we're in a crowd or if we're all meeting up somewhere—Gia instantly recognizes her cousins, and uh, you know, walks past the strangers and will walk right up to her cousins, and hug them and kiss them and and uh, call them by name because we have attachments, don't we? When when we recognize, when we know our tribe, and once you begin to know your tribe, there's nothing else like it. Your heart kind of leaps when you see them doesn't it and so here i'm just amazed at this two-year-old and she already understands the attachments and the importance of being in a tribe um, israel was divided into 12 tribes we know that right 12 family units and that was very important and it was god's setup that that he worked through tribes Jesus used a small group model, didn't he? I, I like the slide It says Jesus was in a small group, I'm just saying. <laughs> life change happens in small groups. You know, if you wanna stay stagnant all your life, just isolate, right? Just just go off on your own, just be a loner, and I guarantee you, you will stagnate, you will not grow. But if you get involved with other people, if you get involved with, with a group, all of a sudden, things change. And I really encourage you to do it because people, when they get together, they push each other, they pull each other up, they encourage each other. And if you have that going for you, nothing is impossible, especially if they're rooted and grounded in Christ, which is ideally the group that you're gonna search out, the tribe that you're gonna search out, because when you make those connections and you start walking together, there's safety in numbers, isn't there? And there's, there's that camaraderie that you just can't replace. And that's why people join clubs and things like that. But those things are good as long as you have an interest in those things. But there's nothing like Christianity because it's a lifestyle, isn't it? And that's where change happens. And just want to encourage you, if you're not in a group, that's the thing that you want to look for. Um, so Jesus' small group model basically talks about how he had the multitudes, right? So we see Jesus in action and he's teaching the crowds. And then what would happen? He would break off into the 12, right? So we know, or actually, first he had the 72, then the 12. And then he had three small groups. And, um, you know, I, I never really researched it. When I took the time to do it, scholars have divided um, the 12 into these three groups. And so the first group, you have Simon, Peter, Andrew, and James and John, and that's probably the group that we recognize the most, because when we hear gospel stories, gospel accounts, these guys are pretty prominent, aren't they? And then the second grouping that scholars believe uh, were part of a second group were Philip, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, Thomas, and Matthew. And then the third group, James, uh, Thaddeus, Uh, Judas, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the Traitor. Um, And I wouldn't want to be in the third group, right? (laughs) So um, we know that first group was really important and Simon Peter the Rock, right? And John um, and James, the Sons of Thunder. I mean, that that would be a pretty interesting group to be in, a pretty interesting tribe to hang out with the Sons of Thunder. I, I think that would be a blast to be with them, right? Is something going on all the time and Peter being in your group of course you know as impulsive as he was he he had the gift of uh, stirring things up didn't he and sometimes you got to shake things up you got to stir things up so Jesus basically had these breakdowns and I talk to people a lot of times about friendships because it's it's hard to have a large group of friends so what we have to do is we have to sort our friends according to intimacy sometimes don't we and so a lot of times we talk about outer court friends and inner court friends so if you remember how the temple was set up the outer court was further from the holy of holies right but it's it was where the bigger crowds and social gatherings would take place and then as you got closer to the holy of holies you know you went into the inner court and then the holy place, because those are places where you start to get more intimate and you start to get closer. And so a lot of us have outer court friends or acquaintances, and then the goal is to get into that holy place and and the inner court friends. And, you know, it's hard on a Sunday, and I'm not knocking church. Please hear my heart here tonight. Um, But it's hard when you come to a church setting like this, Basically, you're looking at the back of someone's head, and you're watching one person up here talking and leading. And uh, so it's more of a spectator thing as opposed to working together and everybody getting to experience each other. We had small group leader training here on Saturday, and what we did is we modeled the groups for all the leaders that are about to lead. And I had a group of 10 leaders in this prayer room, and it was interesting because... Some people have been here for more than five years, and they've never heard the sound of some of these people's voices, which is really interesting when you think about it, you know, because maybe they go to first service or second service, and they just didn't get to know or get to hear someone else's voice. And it's like, that's the first time I heard this person's voice. And I thought that was really interesting, but it speaks of the outer court experience versus the inner court experience, doesn't it? So the next thing we see is that the early church, for the first 300 years, the vehicle, the model for the early church, was to meet in homes. And so we have these scriptures that go through and explain to us that here are uh, two, four, five examples of churches that met in the home, right? So we know that they used to meet in the synagogue, and then they came to the temple court, But it said that they met from house to house. And so let's look at a couple of scriptures. I don't have them on your outline. I have the scripture reference, but um, I'm just going to read them real quick. So the church that met at Lydia's house, many of you have heard of Lydia before, right? She was the woman who was a dealer in purple cloth. So she was a businesswoman. They assumed she was pretty affluent. And they assumed that she had a pretty good-sized house to host this house church. And it says in Acts 16, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters, encouraged them, then they left. So, you know, here's an example of an early church, and it met in a home. The upper room, of course, is probably one of the most notable home churches. And it says in Acts, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were all meeting. And so again, a perfect description of a home church. So we all know that the Holy Spirit at Pentecost broke out at this home church meeting, and talk about encountering God. When you're in a group of people who are like-minded and who are running hard after God, guess what? Things happen, don't they? Aquila and Priscilla's house in Romans, it says, uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So here we have these home church leaders, um, Priscilla and Aquila, and they not only hosted it, but they led the the house church, And they were making a huge impact, weren't they, um, so much so that that they laid down their lives, they risked their lives and so you know we quote the scripture all the time that greater love has no one who lays down their life for a friend, and you want those kind of friendships that people will lay their lives down for, um, people who will go the distance for you, people who will go to the mat for you, people who will give out of their own abundance and that's sometimes out of their abundance even sometimes out of their lack to help their fellow brother and sister and they do it because they have relationship right and and they want to help out they want to help see others succeed Uh, Nympha's house in Laodicea give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house so here we have another home church leader and it's a lady leading the the charge there, and Archippus' house in Philemon 2. says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Phia, our sister, and our K- Ch- 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 Chichippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the Apostle Paul going from home to home, house church to house church, encouraging them, teaching them, and building them up and making a difference in their life. And it was this infrastructure that God used to spread the early church. You know, I think sometimes we think it was this big organized mechanism and instead it was small and organic, wasn't it? So what did they do in these home churches. And many of you know the scripture, Acts 242. You probably know it by heart, right? And it talks about that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it's really important that you understand these four elements, because when you're in a healthy group, you'll see all four of these elements at work in these groups. And I like to think of it as a pie because each group is different. Each group has its own configuration, but the DNA is pretty much the same. So when you're in a group, there should be teaching, there should be fellowship, there should be breaking of bread, and there should be prayer in each group. But sometimes, like I would imagine if Pastor Tim had a group, guess what? Three-quarters of the pie would probably be teaching, right? Because he loves to teach. Teaching is his gift, teaching is his emphasis. And then maybe you'll have a sliver of, you know, fellowship, sliver of breaking of bread, and maybe a, a sliver of prayer. If I was hosting a group, you probably believe that prayer would be the biggest slice of the pie, right? Right. So each group has its own uh makeup, but the elements are all the same. And if you have these four ingredients, listen to what Acts 2.42 says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that breaking of bread, to me, it's two things. It's, it's communion, right? So when we come together in these house churches, these small groups, communion is a very important element, right? Because there's intimacy in that, and it's a connection, and it's our remembrance. Communion, um, sometimes if you look at the word, it says common union. And that's our common union, right? That's our bond in Christ, is the blood and the body of Jesus, which speaks of our healing and our salvation. And what a great way to celebrate that when you're in a group of people who you're going into an intimate place with. So, um, And then breaking of bread also talks about eating, right? And when we get together as Christians, and not even as Christians, even in the, the secular world, Food bonds people, doesn't it? Food brings us together. Food really uh, brings a lot of joy and a lot of fellowship. So there's always food at every fellowship. And then, of course, prayer. And prayer is what knits our hearts together. Prayer is what bonds us close. If you want to grow in intimacy with somebody, just start praying with them. And um, that's why we tell people, you know, a man and woman that aren't married shouldn't pray together, um, you know, alone. Because It really inspires intimacy. And, you know, I remember when my wife and I were uh, dating, and this is before we were saved, and we found um, a pastor because we were both brought up Catholic, but we were transitioning into Protestantism. And uh, so we found this pastor, and he would tell us that when his wife and him would pray, it was like the most intimate thing they could do. And we would, after the meeting, go in the car, and we'd laugh like, how can prayer be better than any other form of intimacy? And uh, But this guy, he was so sincere, and he meant it. And later on, when we discovered the power of prayer and how it knits you together, it's, it's amazing. And I'll tell you, we totally understand now, you know, years later, what that pastor was talking about. So prayer together in a group really does foster intimacy. Okay. I think COVID-19 has taught us a lot of lessons, but I think one of the things it showed us was that how isolation is not a good thing. And in counseling, you know, a lot of people that I'm counseling now, and counseling kind of goes in waves. You know, you'll see certain themes emerge in counseling, and, you know, sometimes you'll see a a rash of divorces or, um, you know, teen problems or you know you can always tell what wave is going through the church and uh the the most recent one of course is loneliness and isolation and during COVID, i think people realized that they lacked a lot of attachments they lacked a lot of connections and so now my job is trying to minister to them and try to take them through you know the importance of having these connections that i'm talking about tonight because when they discovered that they had nobody to fall back on, nobody to call, nobody to lean on, nobody uh, visiting or uh, providing for them, it was a real eye-opener. It was a real wake-up call. Like, what have I done with my life? Who have I invested in and who's invested in me? And so a lot of times during something like that, you really tend to take inventory, don't you? My uh, daughter and son-in-law recently bought a farm out in Oxford, and it's got a stable. And my daughter's dream was always to own horses. And so now she's starting to acquire horses. And when they got their first horse, uh, the trainer told them, they said, you can't just have one horse. And if you've ever done the math of owning a horse, (laughs) it's astronomical, right? So when they got the news that you can't just have one horse, they're like, what are you talking about? we can only afford one horse. They said, no, you have to have more than one horse because horses are herd animals. Horses are social animals and horses need other horses around them in order to thrive. If you leave a horse on its own, it will start to languish. It will start to um, get depressed basically. And you know what, I was thinking about that and that's us, right? Humans are herd animals. Um, There's a few hunters in the crowd, I'm sure. But if you're not a hunter, you're you're definitely in the herd. And so the herd animals need that social interaction. We need that social connection. We need each other. And even the most staunch loner, I think at at certain times realizes, I need some interaction. I need some people in my life. I need some people to help support me in my, my humanity, right? so christianity is totally a team effort um love auto racing and i love this image because this talks a lot about who's on your team so if you were a nascar driver you could zip around the track you could be the best fastest driver but without these guys guess what you're not going anywhere because these guys they're your team they're your crew they're your tribe They're responsible for making sure that your vehicle has fuel. They're responsible to make sure that you got fresh tires and good rubber on your car for the traction that you need. Um, They're responsible for any repairs on the spot. And, And they're responsible for being quick about it, right? They run to the driver's aid and they try to get the driver back in the race as fast as they can. And this is what we need in our lives. And, again, the place where you find this is in your small group, right? Because you start to make those connections. And guess what? You discover each person's giftedness. Like the guy who's uh, probably washing the windshield doesn't have the strength to hump those tires like these guys do. They come over the wall with these things, right? And they throw them on the car, and then they wheel them back. And it takes a lot of strength. You know, the jack man here. You know, he has to be very precise in landing that jack at the exact point um, on the car to get it lifted up. The fuel guy has to make sure that the fuel is going in quickly and that he gets all the fuel in the car so that the tank is full when the car leaves its pit stop. And so each and every day when we make our pit stops, who is it that's running around you and who's getting you prepared to stay in the race and to win the race? Amen. And you may not be the driver every time. Maybe you'll be on the crew for somebody else. But we need to practice. We need to drill. We need to be there for each other. And this, to me, speaks mostly about the fivefold ministry. And as you know, we are a five-fold ministry church. You know, we teach and we preach all the time based on Ephesians 4. This was my ordination verse, so it's very near and dear to me. And Ephesians 4 said, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. And because we're a five-fold ministry church, I love the fact that we can point to these subgroups. We can point to these tribes within the church. So one of the tribes that's very near and dear to me is the prophecy team, right? And so we've trained up a group of people who identify with the gift of prophecy, and they desire to use that gift to bless others in the body. So if you've never been to our prophecy rooms, sign up in the lobby here at the, at the uh, information center, and, and experience it because these people pray all the time. They're interceding all the time. And what they do is they speak prophetically over people who sign up and go to these prophecy rooms, which are held on the first and third Wednesday of the month. And so this team delights to do this. This is how they give back. This is their role in the race. Is When you get a prophetic word, guess what? It, it sets something in you, doesn't it? It, it projects a destiny. It it identifies something in you. It should resonate, and it should confirm what God is saying to you. And so when you come into these prophecy rooms, I'll tell you, I love standing outside that door on a Wednesday night and watch the look on people's faces <laughs> as they come out because sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it's like, oh, boy. You know, somebody just got out of the woodshed, you know? And, and we need that, right? We need all kinds of prophetic words to to keep us in the race, to keep us on the right track. And those that are operating and meeting in the prophecy room, they're putting hours into this, hours into praying, hours into seeking God, hours into hearing the voice of the Lord so that they can build you guys up. Because when you get those prophetic words, it sets you on a new course, doesn't it? And helps guide you and put direction into your walk. And so I love that tribe. Another tribe is the healing room. Uh, So we have a healing team, and they're here, and they're praying all the time for the sick. And they pray up here after every service. So if you have a need after uh, Wednesday night services, after Sunday 9 a.m. and Sunday 11 a.m., just look up here, you'll see a team. You'll see the healing tribe is up here, and they're praying. Then on the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month, They have extended time. So on Sunday, we only have about five minutes to pray up here. But if you need like a longer session, you can sign up. And these people will show up on a Wednesday night on your behalf and spend time and pray an extended time for you for your healing. And they will contend for your healing. And guess what? They never tire of seeing you come because they believe with all their heart that God is going to answer those prayers. And I'll tell you, When we see testimonies and we see healings take place, that just fuels us to go even harder, right? The enemy tries to discourage us, but that's when we double down, right? Evangelism. I love the prayer gazebo, the prayer tent. That's a small group within our church, isn't it? How many of you have served out in the gazebo? Okay, (laughs) wow, awesome. It's, It's nothing like it, is it? That's where our evangelists hang out. And, uh, you know, that's where they're at. You know, if you want to see them in action, and everyone out there is just having a blast. They're having a riot, and they're fellowshipping with each other in between uh, people who stop in for prayer, and they're just going deeper. You know, sometimes they're studying the Word. Sometimes they're eating treats and snacks, right? It's all the elements of a small group, and I love to watch them in action because their goal, their heart, is to see the lost get saved And so it's an amazing tribe, and again, it represents the fivefold. And then last, we have the pastors and the teachers. You know we had a thing called PELT training, P-E-L-T, which stood for Pastor Elder Leadership Training, and that's where we raise up leaders and teachers and trainers. We have our life skill classes. Again, we're developing teachers and leaders to teach life skills. So anytime you want to practice your gifts, we have openings for you to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Okay, so it's time to get involved. It's time to get to work. But the place where you experience this the most is when you're in a home church, when you're in a home group, because guess what? Everybody gets a chance to be used. It's really amazing because if you're in a group, invariably, every time you pull the group, you'll see each one of the five full ministries is represented in that group. It's just the way the Holy Spirit stacks the deck. And it's just so much fun to watch. And so if you have the gift of prophecy and you're in that group, um, you know, check with the leader. But feel free to prophesy over people. Um, You know, if if you need to um, feel the need to be used and to um, advance your gifts, that's the place to do it. Uh, Evangelism, you know, our, our groups, people come in and they invite the lost and the lost come in, and they get loved on, and it's nothing like it to help them to get to the place of being saved. Okay, um, last part I want to talk about is my testimony, my personal testimony. Um, Just going to go through these quickly. It says, I was birthed into the kingdom through small groups. I was working at GM, and at GM, there's a lot of Christians, and they were always actively witnessing They had Bible studies, we had prayer groups, and these small groups were amazing because all of a sudden it just brought me to a place where I got birthed into the kingdom of God and immediately I was involved in a house church. And the house church leaders, they led my wife and myself to the Lord and eventually they said, why don't you guys host it? Because they were a very evangelistic couple. So instead of us going to their house, they said, we'll come and lead at your house because they knew we had relatives and friends, and so we invited them to our meetings, and this couple would lead, and I'll tell you, a lot of people got saved. It was just an amazing time, just through those connections. Um, It's a non-negotiable for my wife and I, kind of a mistake on the slide, but my wife and I, for 36 years, I'm not saying all 36 years, but probably 30 of the 36 years we've been involved in a small group um, where we come together and, and grow in the Lord. Our adult children are now themselves leading small groups because all their lives, what did they see us model for them? They saw us with these connections. They saw us with these friends. And then they saw other parents that they knew who had no connections, who had no friends. And they contrasted it to us, and they're like, Mom and Dad had this connection They had this in their lives, and we need this in our lives to to do for our family. And so I'm proud to say that my adult children are constantly leading small groups in their homes. And when they bought their homes, one of the things they specifically asked the Lord for was a home that was suitable to have a house church in it. So um, that's been their priority, and they want to use their land and their real estate to bless others. Um, our deepest, most intimate friendships have been in small groups. Um, all along the way, the friendships that we have that have withstood the test of time were people that we met in these small groups because there's something about how deep you can go, and you can go deep fast. Um, never forget, some of you know Jim and Jan Gura. Jim passed away recently, and uh, they were just an amazing couple. We were going to Grace Community Church in Detroit on Ross. And Grace was very deliberate about small groups. They had 40 small groups um, actively going at all times. So one Sunday, we decided to join a small group, and we're on the front porch knocking on the door to go into this small group for the first time. And the girls come up on the porch, and we started talking. And 20 minutes later, the small group leader opened the door and said, are you four coming in or not? Because <laughs> we were just... It was an instant connection. We just fell in love with each other. And throughout the years, we've been involved in the same churches and uh, walking together with the Lord. And just been an amazing support system for each other. So, um, the next one, a place to develop and exercise gifts and talents. As I said earlier, if you want to get used, if you want to get involved, small groups are the place to do it. Because... Everybody has a role. Everybody has a spot. Everybody can be used. You know, sometimes we come here on a Sunday and you're just a face in the crowd. But when you get into a smaller segment of 10 to 12 people, guess what? You can't really hide that much, can you? Um, You know, sooner or later, you're going to be highlighted. Sooner or later, your gifts are going to be spotlighted and you're going to be asked to lead in what your particular gift and call is. And so if you want to be used If you want to really grow in your gift, that's the best way. Um, I look at these bands, and uh, I know myself, I used to play bass, and, you know, I could sit in my bedroom and practice my bass, and I was still as bad as I was when I started because you just can't get good at something unless you start practicing with others. And the minute you start playing with others, guess what? your skill level goes way up, doesn't it? And so you think you have a gift just for your own personal use. It's not, a, it's not what it's for. It's for the edification of others. And once you start using it, you know you start playing. If you're a drummer, a keyboard, I don't care what instrument, the more you start playing with others, your skill level is going to shoot straight up. These people have become family for us. Um, They're with us through thick and thin. Uh, I just can't encourage you enough to experience that. They keep you accountable. They strengthen and sharpen your walk. And we all need those people in our lives, don't they? Uh, Don't we? Um, You know, the times that I've been slipping up a little bit, God has these people in my life to say, hey, you need to check up. Or sometimes when I'm getting discouraged, you know, they're there to give you the pep talk. Or sometimes when you're on a high, you know, they want to celebrate with you because they've seen uh, maybe how much you've struggled or how much you've strived to do something, and they recognize it. So, amazing. Uh, tremendous support systems in time of trouble. I was talking to my wife about this today, and uh, probably the time that really impacted us the most is at my mother and father's funeral, and my wife was talking about her father, who passed recently and she said that she was really um, torn up about it and she said she was up in the front of the funeral home and all of a sudden she looked to the back and there was our whole tribe just standing there and they're all just waving. And she said the instant love and the smiles that she saw, there's nothing like it because they were there to support her, they were there to encourage her and she said it's just one of her fondest memories is having this tribe that all show up in times of trouble. We celebrate major life events, mutual encouragement, and most of all, prayer cover. Um, We have a couple people in our tribe right now. You know, many of you know my back issues. Um, We have a man that has um, Parkinson's disease, pretty advanced, Uh, a man that's in AFib right now, someone else that has a brain tumor. And every morning from 7.30 to 8 a.m., we have a conference call. And we've been doing this for over a year, uh, 365 days. We don't miss a day. And we just get on that prayer line, and we just pray. The first 15 minutes is for healing for each other, calling each other out by name, calling out each disease. And I tell you what, we got a list of testimonies. We're just racking them up, healing after healing after healing. It's really exciting to watch. And we believe that this man with Parkinson's is going to be fully healed. The second 15 minutes, we pray for our prodigals because everybody's got a prodigal, right? And, and we pray, we storm the heavens for these prodigals for 15 minutes and we call them out by name. And, and so we have these attachments to each family and each family member. So the prayer cover is absolutely monumental. So that's kind of my testimony And um, here's here's my tribe right here. Just I'd show you a picture of it. And I put revival tribe. They call themselves revival tribe because we're contending for revival, doing life together, and that's what it's about, doing life together. So this lady on the far right here, if if it looks like uh, she's got her pajamas on, she does, because we had just spent uh, three days and two nights together, and. So not only do we meet on Thursdays, but we do weekends away. Tomorrow we're all going to a movie, movie night. Um, And if you can just look at those faces, I mean, the joy that we have when we get together, the joy that we spend time together. And this is after being with each other for three days and two nights, and we're still able to smile because we love being together. And so this is what happens. So this tribe has been meeting for three years and the intimacy and the depth that we go with each other is simply amazing. So um, I'm just going to end with finding your tribe. And so you have an opportunity to find your tribe within this church. And so hopefully this isn't the first you've heard of it, but just want to encourage you to go to our website or if you're uh, a younger person you know what qr codes are COVID taught us that right so you just hit that qr code or you can go to our website c3roseville.org look for this home group uh graphic and then just click on it and what will happen is it'll take you to the groups okay so if you want to be in a group these start in june what you do is the first grouping you'll see is small groups adult only small groups, child-friendly, okay? So if you're looking for a group, if you have children and you want to bring your children, look for a child-friendly group. If you're an adult you don't want to be in a group with kids, <laughs> take the adult only. And once you click on that, it will take you to the next uh, screen, and then you'll see the groups, okay? And you'll see who the leaders are of the group. Uh, this first group, the Shikes and the Hashaws, they meet on Thursdays. So Terry, Shike, and Katie are going to lead the group and Susie Hashaw is going to host the group at Susie's house. So if you hit that open button, it gives you all the details, all the particulars about their group, you know. uh, Do we have pets, you know? um, Do we meet upstairs, do we meet downstairs? You know, is it a barrier-free home? Things like that. Um, Where they meet, there's actually a map to show you where they meet. And so they meet Thursdays at 6.30 and they'll start on June 2nd. The Shocks, many of you know Chuck and Debbie Shock, um, they're on Monday nights. So what you would do is you just scroll through until you find the group that you wanna be in, and then you just click um, the join button down here at the bottom. And once you do that, you're in. But I gotta tell you right now, Wednesday night people got the advantage because registration opened Sunday, and we're limiting each group to 10 people. It's actually 12 because the leaders don't count as the 10. But if you want to be in one of these groups, sign up right away because once they hit 10, the system will lock you out because we don't want more than 12 people in each group in each home. Okay? So when you go home tonight or even before you leave tonight, you might want to check these groups out and see which one you want to be in and register for them. All right? All right?